the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, me, Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Power Trip of Wrestling, brought to you today by our good old friends over at Blue Chew. Stay tuned a little bit later on in the show and find out how you can save on your first order of Blue Chew, courtesy of our good buddies over at BlueChew.com. But let's get into it now. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my partner here on the Two Man Power Trip, the one and only JP, John Paz. And John, we're welcoming in a Jersey boy today. As the Sugar Mask himself, Danny Doring, joins the two-man power trip of wrestling. In my opinion, a very, very long overdue appearance on the two-man power trip for Danny Doring. Someone who is very outspoken. Somebody who gives you the straight answer and does not beat around the bush. And this interview is an absolute huge indication of that. Everything we asked Danny Doring, he was able to give us an amazing answer to each 
question. And Danny Dorian doing amazing things still in professional wrestling as he is the uh, the commentator there on House of Hardcore. And we will talk about that here in the interview, how not only is he the voice of House of Hardcore, but he came through the House of Hardcore back in the old ECW days. But John, as I welcome you in here now, talk about how Danny Dorian is long overdue on this show, a guy who is uh, basically from our backyard out there in uh, in central New Jersey, uh, around the uh, the Jersey Shore area. But somebody who also ties into a lot of great episodes that we've had, including the much-talked-about C.W. Anderson causing Paul Heyman meltdown that we were able to finally get Doring's take on as well. But tell us what we've got to look forward to here in this interview today. Yeah, you know what? Very, very long overdue. We've been around for over four years. We've done almost coming up to 400 episodes. So it's kind of crazy to think that a guy right from our backyard, a guy that we've seen live and in person, if you will, for a very, very long time, probably about 20 years or so of him wrestling. And, you know, we've seen him on the Indies, seen him in ECW. We've literally seen him in, uh, you know, the Elks Lodge right down the street from uh, your house. I mean, there's been crazy, crazy things and tie-ins to the show and to us that we should have had him on earlier. But I guess it's kind of my fault that we weren't able to sync up earlier and really get him on because we really should have had him on years ago because we were kind of on a stretch there for a while where we had on all those New Jersey legends that we just love, the you know, the Devin Storms, the Reckless Use, the A Starlings of the World, and Mike Quackenbush. We love those New Jersey guys. And Doring fits right in there with those New Jersey legends. So we definitely could have had him on earlier. And if you think about it, when all that craziness was going on, like you mentioned, that unexpected craziness was going on when Paul Heyman absolutely blew a gasket and lost it because C.W. Anderson was honest about the end of ECW, and Danny Doring was basically on C.W.'s side. It was would have been kind of uh, smart on my part to kind of get him in on that point uh, and talking about that, but, you know, not really to, to kind of parade that point too much, but that is a, a topic that we definitely get into, not only his reaction to Heyman, but the actual end of ECW itself, what he thought, what was going on in his mind, what was, you know, really, really thinking uh, of the boys in the back and Tom Dreamer and guys like that. Did they really think ECW was going to end? Because it doesn't seem right that it would end in Arkansas, of all places. just kind of didn't fit with the uh, Philadelphia, uh, Queens, you know, where the, the big markets of ECW. kind of doesn't make sense for it to end in Arkansas, but it did. And as we know from other interviews as well, Heyman was not there to see the end. You know, he was busy maybe in Hollywood, maybe he was busy in Stanford, Connecticut. Can't really say for sure, but we just know for a fact he wasn't there at the end of ECW when they ended in Arkansas back in 2000, 2001 era. But Chad, you know what is an, also an interesting thing, and I know you loved it as well. When we talk about a very, very funny but great indie match that we saw when Danny Doring took on Bowles Mahoney, and I didn't think he'd remember it, but he actually remembered more details about it than we did. Yeah, that was funny. I mean, we're going back to probably around 2004, 2005. I want to say it was the Chris Candido Memorial, or the night Chris Candido had passed away, or the new, the first indie show in New Jersey that took place after Chris Candido passed away, because I, I recall there being a 10-bell salute 
to Chris Candido, but I don't remember what the main event was supposed to be. I know Jim the Anvil Neidhart was on our show, uh, but they did announce a, uh, a tables match between Balls Mahoney and Danny Doring that was to take place. And yeah, I was shocked. Danny Doring brought us right back to that night and that there was another show going on in the area. And he mentioned Slick being on that show and that he never got a chance to meet Slick before. So it was really cool that he was able to take himself back to that night and remember that he was kind of uh, screwed over in terms of the uh, the scheduling of the uh, the promoters. But yeah, it, it, something about that match. I mean, you and I have talked about it for years. Just uh, the, the fact that we we had a as close to a ringside seat as possible to the inner workings of a wrestling match uh, because Balls Mahoney uh, definitely was being a little uh, liberal in terms of the usage of calling out some spots that you were able to hear. But hey, calling him out or uh, calling him safe. He, Danny Doran was there with every punch and every kick. So uh, if that's the uh, if that's the indication of this match, I can't believe he remembered it too. Because uh, I mean, I swear that's something we've still talked about to this day. Yeah, isn't that so funny? Like I thought we'd bring it up, and he'd kind of like laugh it off. Like, what the hell are you talking about, man? Mahoney yelling out spots in the middle of a match randomly in Middletown, New Jersey. You know, fifteen years ago, or whatever. But he remembered it, and I couldn't believe all the details. He remembered it, and. Almost exactly, and he knew what we were talking about, how Walls was calling spots really loud. Uh, I just remember that so vividly because it's so funny because we're like you know, watching all the match, Danny Doring, the pro, pro doing great, and all of a sudden, Balls gets extra loud and extra crazy, and you know they start spilling into the crowd, and you can hear literally all these spots he's going to call, I'm gonna, he's going to throw them into here or there. It's just one of those things where it's like, well, this is kind of escalated quickly, but very, very good and very funny indie show, very um, memorable, that's for sure, and right, Jim Neidhart was a part of that show, and I do remember you getting his autograph that, that day, oddly enough. But, Chad, as I digress, also in this interview, we have to mention, we do mention his time in the WWE as well. We get a lot of interesting stories, as we always do, from these ECW guys that enter in the WWE world, and it's kind of a, a, a weird place, because... Vince clearly has never seen ECW, clearly doesn't know the talent, clearly doesn't know what to do with these guys. So it's almost like what uh, Francine said, and then Dane Dorn is very similar. It's like, well, you've never seen these guys. You don't know what they can do. Like, what's the reason you're signing us? What should you have us do? It's almost one of those things where it's like you got Heyman there and he can kind of lead the way, but it's almost as, as Vince it might be a little clueless on ECW. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, Francine really set the table with that and giving us probably the best look at what Vince had to say about ECW and her kind of calling him out. Uh, like, don't you watch these tapes? Like, don't you know anything about what I did or what anybody else did? But it's funny, too, Danny Doring almost uh, piggybacking off of kind of the Chili Willy interview with how Chili Willy got that spot in a dark match. And I feel like they were kind of in the same boat with really that WWF brass not knowing too much with these guys had to offer and the dark match that we talk about with Doring that he had at Madison Square Garden with Roadkill he was so honest and again this goes back to me saying he's very candid he says whatever is on the top of his brain he thought they were getting contracts and it was just as Heyman had come in and obviously ECW had closed and it was uh, right as the uh, the invasion storyline was starting and Roadkill and Doring took on the FBI at Madison Square Garden and it was a quote two ECW like match so I don't believe uh, really went anywhere for those guys at that point but 
I love the fact that Dorn was able to tell us right there, take us back into 2001. He thought they were getting contracts because I think uh, you would have probably assumed that those former ECW tag champs would have fit right in with the invasion. But nonetheless, they did not uh, both show up until what, 2005, 2006, whenever the uh, the reboot started. Yeah, stuff like that never makes sense to me. And then even being you know, a fan and reading stuff and reading reports, saying, like, oh, this person had a great dark match, or this match came off well, the crowd was really into this, and then they don't end up signing the guy like a Danny Dorn for, the, for this instance. It was like, okay, did Vince not pay attention? Are they not watching the matches? Are they not caring? Are they just bringing guys in to do dark matches but not really scouting them, not really caring, and really not really ever even thinking about picking them up or signing them. So those stuff like that always interests me and always kind of uh, throws me off a little. And I love those stories, like Dan Dwayne says, where he's like, all right, I'm just going to go balls out and kind of uh, have a great match and get a great reaction and kind of see what happens. And then all of a sudden doesn't get signed and, and Vince is not, not really not interested. It's just that he just doesn't end up getting signed for whatever reason. So I just kind of like laugh at that and think like, wow, I think that almost sometimes the company might be too big that they're just missing these these little things like, hey, you know, you got to watch this dark match and if somebody gets a great reaction and typically, you know, they wouldn't really get a great reaction in the spot, which means that they were doing a good job and had a good match and the crowd was into it. You may want to, you know, maybe sign this guy or maybe even pay attention or maybe go back and, and watch some of his stuff. So I just feel like Dan Doring is definitely one of those guys. He's a pro's pro always was a good worker, like you mentioned before, came up through the House of Hardcore and ECW, and is kind of still in the House of Hardcore today, so definitely, for sure, came full circle. Yeah, came full circle indeed, and again, want to thank him for finally getting on with us and giving us the time that we did. It was a great one, and it's one of those guys that's a gap filler, fills in a lot of stories that we've heard over the years, and anytime we can get somebody from ECW, obviously we're heavily tied to the ECW legacy with the franchise, so anytime we can get more stories from that world of extreme, it's always uh, fantastic to be able to share those. So with all that being said, we got a big year ahead of us here, ramping up our Markout at the Meadowlands show that we've got April 7th, 2019 at the Meadowlands Hotel up there in New Jersey as the day of WrestleMania. We've got our own spectacular going on uh, just a couple minutes away from MetLife Stadium. You can head over to matmcon.com for more information about what's going on down there at Mark Out of the Meadowlands, a football meets wrestling spectacular featuring good old JR Jim Ross and a litany of stars, including Stan Hansen, Tito Santana, Tully Blanchard, Butch Reed, Danny Spivey, Scott Putzky. Who else am I missing? Who's the sixth guy? I always forget the sixth guy. Who is it? So you got Tito, Tully, Hansen, Spivey, Reed, and Putzky. Putzky. So there you go. I always feel like I forget one guy. Plus a lot of great vendor guests, including the Tonga Kid, Brutus the Barber, Beefcake, and just announced Allison K, a.k.a. Sienna, and Bill Apter as well joining the fray. So it's going to be an amazing time there. The day of WrestleMania, matmcon.com for more information, as well as the big one, May 18th, down in Richmond, Virginia, at the Holiday Inn on Commerce Road. Mark out, uh, excuse me, TMP TCon 3, the celebration, the 35th anniversary of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. Featuring Jim Cornette, featuring Dennis Condry, Stan Lane, Bobby Eaton, as well as the Rock and Roll Express. And a lot more information to come in the coming weeks. You can join us for the full 
VIP Jim Cornette experience, and you can head on over to tmptfwrestling.com for that. And it'll take you over to Brown Paper Tickets, where all of the ticket information is there on that wonderful website, Brown Paper Tickets. So that's enough out of us. Let's get it on over to Danny Doring. Let's get this show on the road and hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former WWE and ECW superstar he is also a former ECW World Tag Team Champion. You may know him as the Sugar Mask. He is Danny Story. Enjoy. WWE and ECW superstar. He is also a former ECW World Tag Team Champion. This one is a long time coming. Very happy to welcome in the one and only Danny Doring, joining the two-man power trip. Danny, how you doing tonight? It's like a three-man power trip at this point. I'm doing good, guys. How are you guys doing? <laughs> we're doing fantastic. It's really cool to have you on. A fellow uh, Jersey guy, so we're always uh, happy to have a Jerseyite on the show with us and uh, talk a little bit about some of the uh, the old times and uh, kind of get your uh, thoughts on some of the more recent things going on in this world of professional wrestling. Sounds good to me, Jersey represent. <laughs> now, I know ECW had a uh, very high reputation of being extreme, but I think the extreme got taken to the uh, triple extreme over the weekend 
Uh, I got to get your thoughts on it because I know you're somebody who doesn't pull any punches. What did you think about this spot that everybody's been talking about that uh, this Priscilla Kelly pulled uh, from her nether regions a tampon out of her trunks and inserted it into her opponent's mouth? What is the ECW perspective on this spot? Uh, you know, I, I, I saw it on my timeline a bunch, and and I kept I kept seeing it retweeted and retweeted, and I finally watched it. I was, at first, I was like, "Wow, she went there," but you know, as I thought about it, I mean, as far as where we came from, I mean, I'm the guy. I mean, I'm the guy who proposed to a future Hall of Famer using a condom as a ring. So it's hard. That's <laughs> hard for me to to say something in poor taste or something like that. I mean, you know, I, I don't think. I mean, I don't think there's anything off limits at this point. I mean, I know a lot of people had a lot of different opinions on it back and forth and a lot of high name, uh, high level name people had a lot of different opinions and everybody seems to be one way or the other. You know, all I know is I, I believe the girls probably got a, a gazillion more followers on Twitter or her social media outlets and her names, a lot of other places. It hasn't been a couple of days ago. Um, you know, I'd like to believe that it's, wasn't a actual uh, used um, lady, um, you know, um, part thing. I, I'm, I'm sure it worked, uh, but it got people talking. I, I don't. I'm, I'm not offended by it. I don't problem with it. And I don't think a lot of people have came from the same places I came from. And eventually, ECW would have went there anyway if, if it had been around. So, to me, all, all the power to her. If she can cultivate that and doing something bigger. All power to her. It seems like now the last couple of weekends, it's something new coming out of a show that people are sharing on Twitter, people are sharing on Facebook, whether it's a 25 second to a minute clip of one part of a match, you know, it seems like they catch on like wildfire, but uh, whether you're on the camp of this was a blasphemous thing done or this is entertaining, yeah, like you said, the followers, the shares, the tweets, everything's going up and I guess publicity really is the name of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I have, I have no problem with it whatsoever. Hold on, we, yeah, we got we lost you for a second. You went a little Darth you you went a little Darth Vader on us for a second there, but it's okay. I can. Uh, but you know, when you think about social media, how about if there was a social media back in the days of ECW? Where do you think we'd be at with uh, with that ECW roster? I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. I said, if there was social media back in the days of ECW, where do you think we would have been at with a uh, ECW roster with uh, the access to uh, social you, media? You wouldn't have one. <laughs> wouldn't have one. Uh, and and I, I'm not even—it's a joke, but it's not. Um, you you got to like, hello? Yeah, we got you. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, the way those guys, a lot of the guys were back then. The way I think that that that's a part of the reason why ECW came at a perfect time, a perfect storm, because a lot of those guys, the way they partied, the way things went, you know, went down, uh, and everybody now having a cell phone camera or, you know, something like that. There would have been some stuff put out there or some, you know, some stuff. There was some stuff that, that we did, you know, that a lot of those guys did in, in their promos that would have been construed as completely over, over, over the top and out of bounds at this point. So I, I can't imagine. And, some of the stuff that happened in parties and hotel rooms and stuff like that. You would have had a, half the roster at least in jail or uh, arrested at some point easily. It happened where anyway <laughs> without it. So, I mean, you know, but uh, yeah, I think social media would have been 
with well, a lot of those guys were it would have been it would have been it would have been it would have been doomsday for a lot of people yeah it's uh it's quite the world and you know like i said it's uh and every weekend it's a new clip from uh, you know an independent show or even from a uh, you know a mainstream company show there's there's one clip that's getting circulated around and really it's the uh, you know the, almost like it's the modern day tape trading is just having a really cool twitter feed you know at this point and i guess uh, hey if you're a longtime wrestling fan you know what we used to go through so uh, I guess it's very cool if you're a, a, a hardcore fan today. I mean, absolutely, and you can see wrestling from so many different outlets now. I mean, I don't know how old you guys are, but um, you know, like I said, in the '90s and the, and the '80s and the tape trader days, and you know, you can get content from almost anywhere. You, can, you know, anyone that has a smartphone can watch almost anything in the world now. So you know, and plus that, and the way 2019 is already shaping up, it's gonna be a pretty exciting time for the business and everybody in it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, of course, you know, we didn't even mention, you know, your affiliation with House of Hardcore. So you get to see up close and personal a lot of the cool stuff that's going on in the business. And a lot of those clips that get shared around come out of House of Hardcore, probably one of the most prominent independent companies out there, just because the cards are so unique and they're so cool. But how is it having that ringside look and being able to call the action and, uh, and kind of see all this stuff right in front of you up close and personal? I mean, you know, first of all, I'm just lucky to have you know, a, uh, a guy like, you know, Dreamer, who still, you know, believes, believes that I should have a, uh, you know, I could have a voice or a, or a platform to even be around this great business anymore is, is, is great for me, but, um, to see what he's doing and, and, you know, it, and I believe that you have, you have a guy like Tommy or, you know, like Cody or the Bucks or all those guys, you have to have, uh, your finger on the pulse of the business to be able to evolve it at this point. And I think though, that's where everybody's going in the right direction. You know, Tommy wrestles more now than he did when he was in WWE. So he knows who, you know, who's a buzz and who's not a buzz. So just to watch a lot of these guys that I've seen in the last couple of years do the thing is, is amazing. And, you know, I could just throw out the Willie Max, uh, the, the Brian cages. And, and, you know, just, I mean, there's just a, plethora of guys that I see that are doing stuff that I couldn't even think of back then. It's really been a pleasure to watch. Yeah, so many great guys. It's almost like uh, House of Hardcore has been the feeder to uh, what would ultimately be your stop in NXT because it seems like whenever anybody's finishing up, they're finishing up at House of Hardcore and then they move on to wherever they're going next, which, you know, nine times out of ten, all these these big names that would, you know, step through the House of Hardcore ropes end up in WWE in some capacity and I think that's really cool. But what do you think it is about Dreamer that's made him such now, like, he, he really is a feeder of sorts to all different promotions, having the links that he does to really everybody these days. It's amazing that he actually can work in almost, and I think he probably has worked in every wrestling federation um, in, 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 the, in the same week. You know, he'll pop up in WWE television with the Edge and Christian show. Then you'll see him doing a match with TNA, and then he'll be running the House of Hardcore. Um, I don't think anybody in this business has that kind of, um, you know, that I don't think anybody can make that claim. It's pretty amazing. Um, but like you said, there's a lot of guys. That you'll see him pop up on Impact. You'll see him pop up on Ring of Honor. You'll see him pop up in WWE on NXT. Uh, even if you look at some of our old cards, I'm looking at him. you're like, you're watching them. You're like, wow, you know, this is AJ Styles versus uh, this is Kevin Owens versus this is Young Bucks. I mean, you got all these guys in there that are just doing amazing things. And, and, and at one point or another, we've had them on House of Hardcore uh, cards in the last couple of years. So it's almost like House of Hardcore. You, you know, 
you're watching the guys who are coming to those shows and performing those shows and they're going to wind up somewhere. Um, one of the major ones I've seen in the last, I'd say year, year and a half that we were, we were lucky enough to have that I, I see like the guys absolutely amazing would be killer cross and he's going to impact and he's just absolutely killing it. Guy is absolutely an amazing talent, an amazing get, and I think he's going to be around for a long time too. Yeah, seems to be the guy on the uh, the tip of the tongue right now for a lot of fans is Killer Cross because he's so much different than a lot of what you see out there. But one thing that comes to mind with House of Hardcore is really that was the Hardys' last stop before they went back to WWE. And I was in the building for a couple of them. I know John's in the building for a couple of them. And, and again, electrifying what they were doing at that point, the hottest act in the business, again, coming straight through the uh, the House of Hardcore locker room. Yeah, I know Tommy had jumped to a lot of hoops to make a lot of that stuff happen, too. I believe that was the uh, the Hardys and the Young Bucks, if I'm not mistaken, um, in Philadelphia, if I'm not wrong. Um, and, you know, just, again, another amazing, amazing night of wrestling and, and a lot of different talents that Tommy was able to get come through those doors. Is there a, a marquee moment for you yet in House of Hardcore that you had the chance to... Uh you know, to really call the action on and uh, kind of step back as a fan as well and really take it in? Oh, there's a lot of moments that were um, marquee moments. I think, you know, for myself performing, um, you know, I got to wrestle with Roadkill in our last match together as a team in House of Hardcore, House of Hardcore 1, which is pretty cool. Um, I got to wrestle a couple weeks ago against Crowbar in my hometown. It's the first time I've wrestled in my hometown in 20 years. And that was a pretty cool moment. But as a fan, sitting back as a commentator, just learning that aspect of the business, I think has been cool and watching it and reacting. And, and I've had some amazing people to work with and uh, Vic Traviente, a.k.a. Vic Joseph, and now Matt Camp. But I think, you know, uh, I watched the Young Bucks and the Dudleys, watching the Young Bucks and the Hardys were, were absolutely amazing matches to, to call and to watch. Um, watching Willie Mac now, um, I mean, I, I could sit back in forever and see some of the style. You know, calling Tommy and Nick Aldis for the NWA title. Um, I can go all day with stuff. That, I mean, I'm just a fan that was lucky enough to have a, a decent little niche for himself in ECW and then now be able to watch it as a comment, color commentator. So I'm just a fan who's just kind of just living, living, living that life now, and I, I can't be more thankful. Now, we're talking about House of Hardcore, and obviously if anybody doesn't know, that name came from the old training facility from the old ECW days, and you're an actually oh, yes. a true, you know, a true original and a graduate of House of Hardcore. What was that like coming up through the original, the OG House of Hardcore? <laughs> yes, the HOH OG. I don't know if those training methods would be legal these days. <laughs> if, <laughs> it, it, you know, um, it's just a different era. You know, I think, you know, now there's a lot of stuff within, you know, with insurance and. And, um, you know, just people, it's a business, people run wrestling schools and in house hardcore, I don't think the trainers there wanted people to graduate. It is almost, it, it, they had to put their stamp on anybody that did make it out. And so, um, they were going to make it sure they were going to make sure that you earned it. Um, I tell people all the time, I said, I didn't know six months out of the school and on the road, I didn't know the insider terms. I didn't. I didn't know what kayfabe was. I didn't know with a lot of insider terms. When people yelled kayfabe for the first time, I, I literally thought it was a woman named Kay. Hmm. I had no idea. We know in the school itself was six months before any of us took a bump. So it was like six months of just 
shooting, learning how to shoot, chain wrestling, more chain wrestling, and then finally learning bumps and then going into all that stuff. So it was like a legit year minimum for guys before they got a match. And they were, they were going to make sure that you were ready. Um, it, it was intense. It was amazing. But at the same time, they never told you the trainers, Perry, Taz, Tommy was there, Bubba, you know, Mikey, uh, Guido, a lot of guest people there never said to you that you can't do it and you should quit. They never said that. They just made it really, really tough on you because they wanted to weed out the bad guys, but they were always very, you know, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. They were never negative about it. So that was one thing too. And that, and I never really, I've never given up anything in my life. So it made me really want to work, but it was not easy. Now you mentioned those guys, you know, the Tads of the world and the Perry Saturns and then the Dudleys. You think that maybe uh, Johnny Rods and still not really Perry Saturns, but, but uh, Taz and Dudley, you think that uh, Johnny Rods, they're kind of uh, instilling that old school mentality and old school training on you guys? Absolutely. You know, and they, they would bring up Johnny Rods a lot. Um, and, and, and just way, what they had to go through and, and the drive when they had to do for no money and things they had to do for paying dues. And, and I think that Taz um, and Perry really wanted people to, you know, Perry's up with Killer Kowalski and mm-hmm. they really wanted guys to earn their way. And, and just getting through the school was, you know, it was hard, but what I didn't realize was that was the easy part because going on the road and not having no money and, you know, and, and I remember Perry telling me, he's like, you know, listen, you're going to lose, um, you're going to sacrifice, you're going to lose your friends, you're going to miss weddings, funerals, all sorts of things, and you're going to lose people in your life that um, you knew your whole life, and you got to be prepared for that. He was right. You know, you're on the road, and you're not home, and, you know, you, you start losing and sacrificing, and, um, and you're missing things, but you knew, you believed in what you were doing. Um, so, you know, we had, there was times we had no money. We slept in the ring truck. We, um, you know, we slept on park benches. We did what we had to do, um, to make it. And we just kept pushing. So, I mean, you know, the school was super intense, but it was the easier part because, you know, just trying to make it on the roster, setting up the rings was not a great payday. And we only got paid to wrestle when we wrestled. So there was a lot of times we weren't home. We were at home for three Three, three, four weeks at a time because we had to make the next town. So we did laundry on the road. We did everything on the road. And we literally made sometimes $100, $150 a week. So it was it was, it was was tough. You know, it was definitely tough. But, it, you know, I would think, you know, so when we started to get things and we started to get um, pushes or victories or anything or even our first contracts, we deserved, we earned it. We were appreciative of it. And we were respectful of it because we knew how hard we worked to get it. That is great. Very old school. Uh, you know, I love that kind of mentality. Obviously, like you said, maybe you couldn't get away with a lot of that stuff today, but I like it. There's a lot of old school flavor to a lot of old school mentality. So when you do make your debut and they do call you up, is that a Heyman call? Is that a Taz call? Obviously, you end up wrestling Taz in your debut match, but who makes the call that says, hey, this guy's ready. Let's put him on the roster. Well, I think Paul, I think it was a combination. Paul would ask Taz, you know, you have guys ready, you have guys ready. Um, so I think Paul would ask him and Taz would, wouldn't green light you unless he was ready. I remember I got to the school one day and he said, Hey man, get in the car. Let's, I want to take a ride to Seven Eleven." And I was weirded out because I was kind of like, I, they don't ever even, we don't see the guy outside of school. So I don't even know what he draw. You know, I'm not going to get in the car with him. And he was like, 
I want to put you on Team Taz. I think you're ready. And that was like a huge moment to get that sweatsuit and everything. So to me, that was like a big, big deal. And and you don't want to screw that up. So to be told that you're going on the road and you're going to have your first match was 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 really big and nerve wracking and and everything. But I think that was a call that um, Paul would make. He would ask Taz and Perry constantly who was ready, and and they would bring us on the road to the ring, and we were on the road doing Team Taz. And he says, "Okay, I think he's ready. Let's see what happens." So um, it was. I think it was a combination right there between the, t- the three of them to to, to figure out when we were actually qualified to have that first match. Were you nervous at all for your debut? Oh, you kidding me? <laughs> um, it was, um, here's the thing. The thing about the school was it was so intense, um, that when we were on the ground getting, you know, stretched or, uh, you know, work shooting or whatever, we would get yelled at if we were on the mat too long, because it would be like, you're, you're, you're wasting time. You're wasting, cause we had to be, we were in, you know, we were like, like intense cardio, intense this, don't take any timeouts, don't take any breathers. So what I didn't do in that first match with Taz was sell anything. And I think I just said this to uh, on Dreamers. Um, I talked to Dreamer in depth about this the other day. When he would hit me one of the suplexes, I would stand right back up like a video game bump, like boom, boom you know, like I'd almost respawn into the, into the lockup position. He would just like, what the, you know, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, and I realized I wasn't selling anything. So he literally T-boned me. I stood right up and got into my stance ready to, to lock up. And it was just so. But in my defense, I mean, you know, I don't think Perry and Taz were the best at uh, at, at being on the cell. So, you know, <laughs> we didn't really do a lot. But we had Mikey in the school to teach us how to sell and stuff like that. So, But I didn't do any of that in my first match. And, and, and I paid a pretty hefty price because he made me sell. Trust me. But, uh, yeah, no, I was petrified. Now, obviously, you know, you make your debut, you're learning the ropes, you're going through it. Who comes up with the gimmick when your first gimmick there? Like, you know, a little bit of boring, doring, that kind of whole thing. Who comes up with that? Is it you kind of throwing it out there? Is it just Heyman's franchise? We 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 were, me and Roadkill were tagging together for a little bit, but we were using, Roadkill was wearing a black sort of ensemble, and he was kind of like a backwards Louisiana like almost like deliverance type character. And, and he, he was getting us a lot of mat. We were getting a lot of matches together just to get experience. And what they originally came up with me was I was going to be Dirk Doring and it was going to be like a Dirk Diggler boogie nights character. And we started doing that and roadkill stayed the same. And then, um, Val Venus came out like weeks later. So they scrapped the porn star gimmick and they said, just be flamboyant. And, you know, I already had came up with some perverted names for my moves and stuff, which was a lot of what I would eventually use. And then Al Snow looked at Roadkill once and I guess he just saw the movie Kingpin. And he's like, you know, Roadkill should be Amish. And Paul was like, yeah. And the next week Roadkill was Amish. And then he came out and we just kind of, every week we added a new little, wrinkle to it. Roadkill would only say chickens and I would do the promos and they said, trust me, eventually this will get over. And we just came and then we just kept working together and going to the school together a couple of times a week on our off days and just working on stuff and tag team moves. And, and, you know, we had a lot of great guys. A lot of people don't realize this and ECW before the shows, Tracy Smothers, Tommy Rich, and a lot of the vets would run like little clinics 
So we, from like four to like six o'clock before doors open, we'd be in the ring working out with some of these veterans that have been around forever. So we got a lot of good work and a lot of good coaching in um, almost three, four days a week. So, you know, we got to add a lot of stuff to our repertoire. We got a lot of good tag work in as a team. We picked up a lot of good steam in those couple of years. So uh, a lot of people had a hand in it, but um, a lot of the stuff that came after the general Amish and crazy guy character was, was stuff we did on the fly. Joey Styles helped us out a little bit too along the way. So we had a lot of chefs in our pot, luckily, and, 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 and I would say thankfully. Hey, let's pause one second here to tell you about the benefits of using Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. Now, you don't need to be a genius to know the benefits of Blue Chew, but for those of us that need to be enlightened, how about this? It's the first ever chewable, so you don't have to sit in that doctor's office and look like an idiot and wait for your turn. It's got the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, and it's fast acting, and you can use it on a full stomach. And it comes in very discreet packaging, so your nosy-ass mailman isn't going to know what you're going to be doing and taking care of business in your bedroom later tonight. And if I had to give Blue Chew a grade, I would give it a G-O, as in go to bluechew.com and use the promo code POWERTRIP and get your first shipment free and pay only $5 shipping. Again, it's bluechew.com, B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Use the promo code POWERTRIP and take advantage of our very special offer. So get over to bluechew.com right now because using Blue Chew outweighs any of the other alternatives that are out there and make your weekend perfect. And why don't you go and spice up the finer things of life? Definitely a lot of teachers, a lot of good guys to kind of go to, smothers and rich. I mean, come on, I mean, that, that's uh, awesome right there, and that's great that they kind of you know, do a little teaching for the show. That's great stuff. You had, you had but, everybody. They had Shane Douglas, you had Tommy Dreamer, you had Taz, you, had, you know, everybody. We had almost every veteran with a, with a wealth of knowledge to help us out, and they were all willing to help us out, too. It wasn't like a lot of selfish veterans, which was which was, you know, which is what you need at that time, especially when you're a young kid. Now, obviously, you know, the team of Road Couple before that, or kind of around the same time, I just want to touch on it because you mentioned it before with Lita, obviously, Miss Congeniality, that whole thing. Did you see when you're when you're with her chemistry, did you like that? Did you thought maybe that was pushing the boundaries? Because that was, you know, very ECW-esque, your character and, and that relationship you guys had. No, we, I... It was big for us. It was, um, she came in and it was big for us because we, 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 we got along. Like she started traveling with us. So we all, Rokio had a van and we all traveled in this van. It was like, it was funny because it felt like me and her were really, you know, really, really cool. And her and Rokio always had friction. There's always some kind of weird friction thing going on. So it was almost like the on screen chemistry was the same as the off screen chemistry. So it was very natural. Um, but as far as pushing envelope stuff, I mean, I remember that heat wave promo we cut where I proposed to her was very, um, it was nerve wracking too. Cause that was my actual first live promo in front of a pay-per-view audience. So I was really, really nervous that, and we had about 17,000 spots we had put into that match that we were going over like crazy. So it was a really nerve wracking day for me, but the chemistry that we had was I thought it was phenomenal. And I don't think we actually recaptured that with Electra because it just wasn't the same. But uh, I think having her with us for that short amount of time that we had her was, was big for uh, us as a team. And and I think it got us a lot more uh, steam and a lot more notoriety with the fans and in the wrestling world at that time. Lita obviously trained wrestler Electra. I feel like in my uh, younger days, I may have seen her at a 
adult club in New Jersey somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I know that you did because I know what that, I know exactly what that club was. Um, yeah, no, she was no, she was the um, she was a talent coordinator for the strip club that would be later known as Bada Bing in The Sopranos. Yes, forget the 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 real name of it because I used to work over there. But yes, yes, very very sad dolls. Yes, yes, sad dolls. They had pretty good talent. Pretty good talent. She did a good job. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've only been there once or twice, but. I agree. Now, you know, obviously, Heyman is a very good talent evaluator. He always adds in with that talent evaluation. He always adds in a mix of interesting gimmicks and stuff in that. You said that you kind of had a hand in, you know, coming up with some of the some of the things. Like they said to be flamboyant, but you come up with names of moves and stuff like that. As you progress, they give you more freedom. Or are you kind of, uh, you know, judging where your promos go, things like that? Um. We got a lot of promos from Tommy and Paul. Um, Paul would do a few, and Tommy would do a few, and some of them were really good. Um, I just felt like, if I look back on it, I wish I could have been more incorporated, more ad living into it. A lot of mine were scripted um, from start to finish, and I felt like I didn't really come into my niche as far as being able to cut on the fly and ad lib until almost right at the end of ECW. Um, but as far as the, uh, you know, coming up a lot of stuff, a lot of that was, um, you know, Paul and Tommy and it's either we had one promo, uh, written by Tommy or one written by Paul. So, um, but I said right, right at the end, right before we were going into our final few with the FBI's where I felt like I got more time to just come out, kind of just come off the cusp and, or Paul would say, just here's what we're doing. Go. And that was like the first time I had, okay, so now I have to come up with what I want to say, what I'm feeling, rather than what I think, um, you know, what, what's scripted for us. So, uh, you know, it was it was good at that point, and I felt like it was coming right at the right time. Unfortunately, the end of the company was coming right around that time, too. So um, I did a lot of that stuff on the indies and, and stuff like that. So Now, before we get to the end of ECW, and we're going to touch on that just just in a minute. I wanted to ask you about your feud with, obviously, with Roadkill, but against Nova and Chetty. Seemed like it went on for a very long time. I like those kind of feuds where it's a couple of years built, but what did you think about that feud? Good chemistry, obviously, and good matches, but what was your take on it? Um, thank you. Um, we, we were spo- It was supposed to be originally centered around the fact that um, Chris Chetty was the first graduate and I was the second. And that was supposed to be the underlying problem. You know, we were supposed to just, I was always supposed to be jealous of him and, and want to see his demise because of who he was, because of who his cousin was and because of the opportunity he got because of that. Um, what a lot of people don't know was we were around that heat wave time. We were, we were slated to do a double turn where we put me and Chris Chetty together. And as we can talk about putting Sal, Sal Graziano with us, um, that didn't happen. And I think a lot of times when we wrote kill, we're going to a point where we might split. It didn't happen. And I think I always take pride in the fact that we were the team that never turned on each other. But, um, those matches I thought were great. Uh, we had a little bit of friction. Um, we had good matches with them, but it was hard a lot of times to call the matches because, there was a little friction on the direction with Nova. We didn't feel like a lot of times that we just, we had a difference of opinion on a lot of things. 
but I think that actually wound up causing a lot of um, happy accidents. And and so I think those matches were pivotal for us to, uh, we always had good matches with them. We always had good matches with the BWO, um, you know, and, and of course the FBI is probably our, our greatest opponents. But we, we, we prided ourselves on trying to build that tag division. So there wasn't a lot of ego at all in the tag division between any of the teams, really. We all kind of wanted to succeed and have people to work with and watch it grow, like Bill and CW when they came in. And, and a lot of teams, we tried to have like that tag division set up so where on any given night, any team could beat any other team. And there wasn't a lot of, there was a lot of parity, almost like an NFL league as opposed to having like the Dudleys who are so far heads and shoulders above everybody else, we wanted to have a more even keel. Speaking of good tag division, speaking of the FBI, along comes Massacre on 34th Street on pay-per-view. You guys win the tag titles. At this point, and I'm always curious to this, does it mean as much to you guys as this to the fans? Because the fans always like, especially at this point, that nowadays the titles kind of don't mean as much, but especially at that point, it sounds like, Wow, they're they're the champions. They're they're building them up. They're giving them something. Does that mean anything to you guys when you guys win the tag title that night? Yes, it did. And you know, obviously, it's you know everybody's well. It's a work, and you were written in. But you have to be uh, put in a position where the company believes in you to win championships. So you don't win them as uh, you know as a sporting contest, but you win them in the fact of that you've proven to somebody above you that you should have them. And that year, the company can invest in you as such. So, uh, as far as the hard work, and a lot of other times, we thought that we were it was our night, and we were told um, that it wasn't. Um, there was a match we had in Mississauga, Canada, where we were winning the belts up until we got to gorilla position, and they said, "Let's we're we're going to hold off on it." And we had to change the finish in the ring, uh, but the whole day we were led to believe that that was our night. And, you know, I guess it was a test or whatever, but there was a night that we, you know, we were getting in position to do it. So to finally get it and get that. And even when we were in the ring, like I was not 100% sure we were going to be the champions until I heard the three count. So, <laughs> you know, you, it, 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 it's, you know, to, to get that and get that nod, is, was, it, was, it was a pretty big moment. Plus it was Manhattan. So a lot of, you know, Roadkill was from Long Island. I'm a Jersey guy. So everybody that we knew, uh, in our lives, it was in that building that night, so it was a pretty big deal for us to win them there and in front of that crowd in that building in Manhattan. Still pretty special. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think it was um, probably one of the most special nights of, of my career for sure. And ECW, a year or so later, ends up closing the doors, and you guys are still tag champs. So, technically speaking, still are the ECW reigning ECW tag team champions. How does it feel? Hey man, listen. It's a it's it's been a it's been a long, uh, what's it now? Uh, Seventeen years um, to hold on to those belts. It's been a, it's been an uphill climb. You know, holding those belts is a lot harder after winning. Now I'm like kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I still have mine. Um, it's still I still have mine, and it's still it's in storage. And um, God forbid, ever something ever happened to me it would be my son's, and he could do what he wants with it. But it's my piece of wrestling history, and um, no one could take that away from me. What were your thoughts heading into that bankruptcy? Obviously, ECW heading out of business because you guys are kind of getting that push, if you will. You know, you guys are getting recognition. You're the tag champs. Things are happening positively for you, but it seems like behind the scenes, 
it's it's all kind of going downhill. Were you shocked when the ECW went out of business? Was, was there any sort of hint that that it was headed that way to you guys? I mean, we everybody will say the bounce checks, but we actually had been through that before. It was not our first picnic. Um, it happened a year or two earlier with some of the bounce checks, and it was a it was a short period of time. So, and then that. I think it was shortly before the TNN deal. So we weathered that and then we went on. So when tech started bouncing at the end again, um, we just figured it was another storm that eventually we would overcome. So we, we didn't take it as, as it was opposed to, uh, it was leading towards the end. We should have, uh, but a lot of us just believed that in what we were doing and the, we would just weather that storm. And, and so, um, after the guilty as charged pay-per-view, um, as far as we knew, we had another pay-per-view slated for February, I believe, of that year. And people were calling my phone, going, you know, we call it the building. And they said, there's no there's no rent page, so they don't know if there's pay-per-view. And what do you know? And I'm like, I don't know anything. And none of us knew anything. And so to find out that it was actually, you know, and there was rumors going into that last show weekend in uh, Arkansas, I believe that this was it and we had a uh, almost like a curtain call kind of thing um and i still didn't believe it you know i went out there with sam Ann and he did his beer thing and 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 as far as they all were concerned it was over that was it and i was like no i'll go home and i'll wait for the next one and that next one never came so yeah it was it was a pretty big shock and it was a pretty big uh it was a pretty big blow and um it was a little bit depressing but at the same time i just didn't really believe that uh, Roadkill and I would be unemployed long. So um, I was upset. It was heartbreaking. It was depressing, but I wasn't, I had a, I had a pretty big, a pretty um, positive outlook towards the future at that point. It is interesting how that all went down. And, you know, there's all these rumors that, you know, Heyman was working for Vince the entire time. And, you know, actually maybe some of that isn't rumor because some of that has kind of been proven as a fact that he was getting checks from Vince for a while. But, you know, it's weird that he's kind of not showing up to these shows. Was that commonplace kind of towards the end? Because, you know, we had on C.W. Anderson, and C.W., you know, made a comment that, you know, like Dreamer was kind of in charge over the end. Heyman was there, and Heyman all of a sudden on social media, when we interviewed C.W., were shocked by it. Heyman went crazy and went after C.W. Anderson. It was, it was like nuts, but uh, obviously he had a nerve. Um, but do you remember that, like him not being around as much? I do, but I mean, I think, I think I remember the CW thing too, that, that whole thing. I think Paul, I think Paul genuinely liked CW. Um, I always thought that maybe Paul was hurt by that, what CW had said, because Paul thought so much of CW. I, I don't know um, that worse things weren't said about Paul by other guys. So I don't know why the CW comments were so, were, I always wonder why the CW thing got to him like they did. Um, cause I know a lot of other people said a lot worse, but I mean, it wasn't uncommon for Paul not to be at house shows. Um, and that's what those, those shows were. There was a house shows and Tommy ran them and, um, you know, like I, I would say, you know, if, if it were, if my only, I mean, again, I don't like, I, I was mad and upset and, and I said a lot of things myself, but, you know, in 2019, I don't really, I don't have any, I don't hold on to any of that. I don't have the energy to hold on to the negativity. Um, but 
if I had to say something, I'd be like, well, I would just want to be on the Titanic as it sank. And I felt like he wasn't. Um, so, you know, but it wasn't uncommon for him to be there, but it was like, but again, that wasn't a TV taping and he was at most TV tapings. I'll give him that. I don't remember him not missing a T. I don't remember him missing a TV taping to my recollection, but how shows, I don't think there was a, there was a, I, I, I honestly can't remember, but there was a few here, here and there that he just wasn't at. I think it caught us by surprise, just as much as it caused it caught everybody by surprise, because the interview itself was so innocent in regards to everything he said about ECW. Because before and after that one little spot where he mentioned that particular time, all he did was talk about how much he appreciated the opportunity, and you know he was really doing everything he could to stay in the business on you know both sides when he first got there and then afterwards and he really didn't say anything bad and we were just shocked at how Paul Heyman went from 0 to 100 and it was a very I feel like it was uncharacteristic uh just meltdown that he had especially I mean he was bringing up Brock Lesnar in this meltdown and then you saw afterwards the divide between guys who were you know kind of putting their feathers in each cap one team Heyman one team CW and it was just to me like you said it's 18 19 years later now at this point but it was just very shocking that he would go all in like that finally pushed him over the edge to finally comment on it uh, who knows maybe he was going through something that day who knows I mean I just think that you know it, it, it is it's you know CW was you know you remember a lot of us and 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 and, and Paul needs to understand too oh, I'm sure he does but we were loyal um, most of, and I would say not even most, all of us younger guys at the company were loyal to a fault where we ran through walls. We've done anything for him, anything. So, you know, he, he broke a lot of people's hearts and, um, he hurt a lot of people. Um, and CW is one of those guys. CW would have been, CW would have done anything for Paul Heyman. And I think that that, whatever that, <laughs> came out of, I remember that situation where those comments were made. I think they probably hurt CW as much as, as anything. Um, but, you know, CW is one of the best people I know in this business. And for him, you know, for that to, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what, really what to make of it. But like, like I said, a lot of us were loyal to, um, our, our loyalty to Heyman and ECW knew no bounds, knew no bounds. And, you know, to this day, C.W. Anderson is one of the best people I've met in this business. Um, so, you know, I was Team C.W. because of that. Because to this day, I could, if I, if I was stuck, if I was stuck out of my house and I had nowhere to go, C.W. would take me in. Like C.W., like a lot of us at ECW guys, we're family. We always will be family. And I can count on, I can literally say the word brother to a lot of people in ECW and it means something. I think it's that word brother is thrown around in this business way too much, but I think with certain people, Chris Chetty for me, Spike Dudley, uh, I can go on forever. Tommy Dreamer, I can go on. Um, that word brother is, is, is factual and actual and CW is one of those people. Yeah. Again, just, it was uh, very surprising. We actually had the chance to talk to CW again afterwards and, you know, just kind of get his take on it. And he was just as surprised, but you said before, about how you thought you and Roadkill would not be uh, unemployed after ECW closed. And I believe you guys did have a, a dark match at the Garden after ECW closed. So did you think that that was going to be the chance that you guys had to get in front of that WWE brass, especially with Heyman now backstage or doing commentary at that point, uh, being really the perfect opportunity for you guys? 
um, I was ready. I thought we were, I thought walking out of the ring to leave the match, I thought that was it. Um, cause they were chanting ECW. The, the literal place was literally, um, I've never, I've been on pay-per-views. I've done, you know, a lot of stuff for ECW, but to be in the garden and have the reaction we got from that crowd, my heart was literally coming out of my chest. I've never had that feeling. It was probably the most amped up, hyped up, um, I ever been in my life. I've never experienced something like that. Um, and I thought we killed it. The problem was, uh, apparently we did way too much for certain people, but, um, at that time, you know, we, we were told to tone it down and be basic. And it was, uh, Paul, it was, I remember Bubba, um, Bully Ray, I'm sorry. Um, a lot of people told us to listen, you guys should just empty it out and let it hang out. And, and that's what we decided to do. Um, I don't think whatever we did that night, looking back on it, was was going to be successful. I think if we toned it down, we were going to get yelled at for toning it down. If we let it hang out, we were going to get yelled at for hanging, let it hang out. And I'm glad we did. I'm glad, looking back, that we did do it the way we did it because – I don't think I think we were in a position that we were we were going to fail regardless because somebody there wanted us to fail regardless. Now who that person is, I don't know, um, but I don't think that I think one way or the other we were going to be the fall guys for somebody's heat somewhere, and we went out and killed it. And I'll say that one hundred percent, we killed that match, and the people knew we killed that match, and they reacted as such. Uh, I was ready to go through the curtain and sign my contract. That's how positive I was. We killed that match, and to this day, looking at it, I know that we did, and. I'm okay with that because we left it out there. Yeah, I mean, I remember when you guys were uh, were popping up there, and uh, especially during that time, it was really anybody who had that name in ECW. When if you were going to come in, that was the right time, and it was uh, unfortunate that you didn't get that shot, but you would end up there a couple of years later when they rebooted ECW. So, just if we can take back down that road and and kind of revisit ECW, what'd you think of the reboot? What'd you think of One Night Stand, and where obviously they were going to be headed afterwards? Well, the one night stand, the first one was, was, was great. The second one was, was, was okay. Um, obviously the, uh, the moment with, with Van Damme and, and Cena was, was, is, is infamous. I, I, I always mark out for Cena's entrance in that, in that, um, in that match. Um, the reboot itself, eh, I mean, you know, I, I really think that a lot of ex-ECW guys really legitimately thought it was going to be business as usual, ECW style, and didn't realize that it wasn't going to be. And I think that bummed a lot of guys out. Um, I mean, obviously, we we were working the FBI almost every house show, and and all of a sudden we weren't. We were working singles, and then we were working singles on different weekends. So I would be on the road, roadkill wouldn't, vice versa, and we were basically doing squash matches for guys that would go on and be their focus. And I think once we realized we were just brought in to be phased out for new guys, it kind of, it kind of really took, uh, for me personally, anyway, it took away my desire, my want to, my dedication, um, my fight from me. Um, and it was a really low point in my life. Believe it or not, getting to WWE was maybe the lowest I felt in my career as far as, um, wanting to work and succeed and 
and uh, and fight for 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 anything. I was I was in a bad place. I really was. How long do you think it could have lasted had it been successful in that initial run after one night stand? I don't think it ever would have been. Um, it was just it just wasn't going to be the same. Their production is leaps and bounds behind what we had, and I think part of our production, part of what Paul did to make it look the way it did was its niche. It was gritty. It was '90s. It was that grunge style. Um, you had that music. You ever watch a network now? Like you, you, it's it's not the same. Um, back then when you saw it on TV, we had that grit. We had our finger on the pulse of the music at the time was big. The fan participation was big. Everything about it was big because of where it was. And I think it got the WWE gave it something that it, it was, it polished it too much. It made it look too polished for what it was supposed to be. And it just took away what ECW was. It was clearly their vision of, a third brand and it wasn't it wasn't at all what what ECW was uh on TNN or hardcore TV uh syndicated or whatever it was whatever whatever they did in that basement in New York was what it was supposed to be and everything else wasn't it was just a it was just a polished third brand that was it yeah, we do a podcast with uh, the franchise. We do the Triple Threat podcast, and uh, he always talks about. He calls it the Muzak. And how do you take away Perfect Strangers from Shane Douglas? Well, how do you take away, you know, uh, the Offspring from Raven? Or how do you take away Man in the Box from Dreamer? You can put in anything that kind of sounds like it, but the music. I mean, that was that was ECW. That really was the feel. It was the culture, and it was the absolute, you know, epitome uh, of ECW. I mean, interesting, man. I mean, yeah, you know, like, there you go. <laughs> big balls. I mean, you can go on all day. You can listen. People will be in their car. To this day, if I if I hear a song in my car, I'll let it play. I would never in a hundred years play Natural Born Killers, Enter Sandman, um, Man in a Box, any of those any of those songs in my car on my iTunes or my Spotify. Never. But if I hear it on the radio, I will listen to it all the way through. And I think that was part of the allure. That was part of what made it, you know, people people connected to it. People had a, um, even with the crowd participation, people had a, if you came to a show, you knew you were you could be part of the show or involved in something that uh, affected the show. And I think that was special for people. And, it, and I think that's what wrestling is. You're supposed to have a special connection to it. It's supposed to give you uh, a feeling of something. It's supposed to, you know, those moments that you grew up on, which drew you into the business, that attract you to the business, there are special moments and things that happen that you connect to personally. And I think that's what ECW did for a lot of people. And and I don't think any of those moments were really made in the reboot whatsoever. Not one. Do you think Vince ever really got ECW at the end of the day? Because we're really closing in now on 10 years that he even closed up shop on that reboot. So do you think he really gets it still, you know, looking back at ECW? I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I just don't know that it was uh, a lot of people's cup of tea in that office. Um, you know, obviously you have people that, um, that it was, it was very special to it was their baby. They're going to fight for, you know, Paul and Tommy and a lot of those guys. Um, to this day, I don't think, I think it holds up to this day. I think, a lot of guys up there hate it. A little, a lot of those guys um, still hate everything associated with it. I think a lot of that comes from 
either an old school mentality because ECW was so far away from, um, from, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of, a lot of it also is jealousy because it did go somewhere and it did change the business. Whether people want to admit that or not, it came at a time where the wrestling business needed a shot in the arm. And I think a lot of WWE guys that were successful in that attitude era were rehashes of ECW guys. I really do. Uh, I, I would think that, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin was, had a lot of elements in the Sandman to his, to his character. And I don't think that could be disputed. You know, just, I think that we did something that was special, was unique, and we should be proud of that. But at the same time, um, it, it couldn't, it couldn't, like we said earlier in this interview, it couldn't survive today. It's just a different time. It's a different place. It's, it's a different everything. And I think that, um, that's why I kind of tend to wait to stay away from, um, reunions and all that kind of stuff at this point, because at what point does it just, you're just kind of just destroying a legacy. It's like if Dan Marino went to put back and play quarterback today, you know, or, you know, a lot of those things you can't, it just, it's just over and done with. It was special. It was great. Um, but I don't wear my, I, I, you know, I won divisional championships and championships in high school, but I don't wear those jackets anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's over. And we just, you know, it's, it's, I was happy and lucky to have worked with um, and been part of something so special and to still be friends with a lot of those people. And like I said, call a lot of those people brothers and family and and be involved with somebody like Dreamer now who isn't trying to reboot ECW. He's just doing his own vision and his finger on the pulse of what, what wrestling fans, what he believes wrestling fans want today. Um, but I just think it was a special time. It was a special place, but it's, it's it's run its course. It's over, and you can revisit it. I'm lucky enough to have a body work that my son can watch for the rest of his life on the WWE Network, and that's what's special for me. Is my kids can go back and watch, and say, you know what, Daddy was kind of Daddy did some kind of cool. You know what I mean? Um, and that's what's big for me. I don't I don't have any um, ill will or ill feelings towards anybody at this point anymore. I'm proud of what I've done. I'm proud of where I've been, um, and you know. Like I said, my kids go back and watch anything I've done on 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 the network, and and hopefully there they you know other people can too, and and, and what we did still will continue to put smiles on people's faces. Oh, absolutely! If I need a a good pick me up, and even like I said, doing the show with Shane, if we're doing any kind of research, going back to watch ECW is a treat because even though I've seen it all, you go back and watch it, and you go, wow, man, like this was so different compared to what we were watching at that point, but. I got to ask you, from an ECW uh, alum yourself, where do you rank Vince McMahon in the pantheon of ECW champions? See, this might surprise you. Um, I actually thought that was the perfect choice at the time. Um, I loved it. I, I'm, I'm, a, I know I'm in the minority, but I think that when the when WWE and the business needed a heel. Vince was the perfect guy to come in and do it. I thought, I think as a heel, um, it was phenomenal. And watching him walk around with the ECW title on, I thought was um, absolutely hysterical. And there was a couple of promos that I can't really mention that <laughs> maybe went a little bit too far if you ever seen one in Cena. Yeah. Uh, and Booker T. But, <laughs> yeah, they went there. Um, hmm. Anybody else, you can guys go back and probably find that on YouTube. But, um, I, I totally popped for Vince McMahon as ECW heavyweight champion. You know, I, I did. 
And I thought that, um, I mean, look, dude, the guy was like jacked. He's probably one of the biggest, if you really go pound for pound, he might've been one of the biggest champions of all time. You know, if you, if you discard like, you know, not counting uh, Ben and Bigelow or Mike Awesome or anything like that, but it was Vince McMahon, a solid 6'3", two fuck, 260, jacked. Uh, yeah. I liked it. That's just me. As we hit the wind down button and start to wind it down, you know, we're talking so much about ECW, and we only brushed on New Jersey for a second, but I just wanted to mention Mike Wackenbush, Reckless Youth, Ace Darling, Devin Storm, Balls Mahoney, King Kong Bunny. Now, finally, we get Danny Doring on the show. Those are like our New Jersey go-to guys. I mean, we used to love watching you guys on, on the independent scene before you, you know, before you really uh, hit it big. So, you know, do we have fond memories of the uh, New Jersey independent wrestling scene? I I gotta tell you I I wasn't I wasn't into it. I was I was I came to ECW, um I was I didn't work an independent show until after ECW. Yes. Um yeah. I went to ECW school and went right to my first ever match was against Taz for ECW. Um I didn't meet a lot of those guys until years down the road. Um I bumped into Crowbar Devin Storm on a plane, uh going to Florida. We talked about Star Wars the whole time. We actually didn't have a match together till. 2002, 2003 for oh, well, wow. Meanie's wow. 3PW. Uh, uh, I didn't meet Ace Darling and uh, Reckless Youth. I met briefly in ECW when he came in. Um, Quackenbush. Uh, I met all those guys years later. Um, yeah, uh, uh, years later after ECW when I was started working for the local shops out here, like the Dapper, the Dappers and the mm-hmm. Genos and the Rikios <laughs> and all those guys. But uh, yeah, I, I heard horror stories about the Jersey Independence um, <laughs> from 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 everybody for years. You know, like I remember, like uh, Nova, Mike Bucci would, would would he would scream horror stories about some of the independent stuff that went on. I was like, I was mortified. So when I started actually taking bookings, I was absolutely I got to live some of the stuff that I heard about, and it was all true. Um, yeah, some humble times, man. <laughs> Good old New Jersey independent scene. Yeah, and it, and it is crazy. A lot that... of lighthouses. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> a lot of the house is light tonight, brother. Sorry, I'll get you next time. A lot of that. Not not too good. I know some of those promoters are not to be found anymore. The no, Johnny no. And MIA. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a new crop now, man, but... Hey, you know, so I'm, I've, been, I've been doing some small stuff with um, Devin Storm. I actually just started his own little thing up in Rutherford. Uh, and it's going pretty well. So um, I'm actually enjoying, like, I got, I'm trying to, like, phase myself out of here. They keep hooking me back in. Dreamers making me wrestle again. And Crowbar is making me wrestle. I actually bought new tights recently. Like, I'm, I'm close. I'll be, I'm five years from 50 here, man. But I feel like I can still do another 10, 15 years. So, um, yeah, man, it's, been, it's still fun. It's still fun for me. It is great. And it is crazy to think that you, you know, you just were in ECW, you just came up, and you kind of missed the meat of the 90s um, New Jersey independent scene, but you hit it big in, in the 2000 era, obviously, uh, New Jersey independent scene. We used to see all the time. I remember we were at a show with you and Balls Mahoney. I don't even think you both were um, supposed to be there at first, and maybe were late replacements, but it was in Middletown, somewhere in the mid 2000s, and Balls was calling out spots so loud. I mean, the match was still great, but he was calling out spots. So loud, it was so funny. I was like, "Man, does he know? Oh. You know, he he sounds crazy right now." Was that for Dapper? Yes. 
Yeah, you know, that's a funny story. We we worked we worked two shows. Dapper was running uh, one show somewhere, and then there was another show in Middletown, and we were the first match on the one show and the final match on the second show. So we we he was the hardcore champion, and he I win the belt from him in I want to say like Hazlitt or something, and we drive to Middletown or vice versa, one of them. And I dropped the belt back to him in the other town. So we worked, and we, we had no <laughs> idea what we were doing in the second match because we got out there. They said, "Oh, you're having a table to match," and we didn't even know. So we got there, and, and I remember that because I was mad because I always wanted to meet Slick, and Slick was on one show, and he was driving to the other show when we were when we were leaving the other show. So I missed Slick twice, and I was pretty mad about it. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to meet Slick. He was one of the guys I never met. And I was really looking forward to it. But yeah, no, I remember that because I remember him yelling. Um, it might have <laughs> been when he was, yeah, yeah, I, I do remember that. That was a, uh, I always loved working with Balls because he was always, he's one of the best. Like he really was. Like he, he was one of the guys that like you just really bummed you out when you heard of his passing because he was really one of, I just have nothing negative to say about him. I have a million Balls stories, but I have no negative things to say. I think he's just one of the, one of the better guys that you met in the business one of the guys really was passionate and really did care about everybody else and you know in ECW taking all those vicious chair shots he must have been one tough son of a bitch with some of those shots that he took well, I mean you know like listen there's a lot of unprotected stuff that went on back then and what we know now is scary and, and I was a recipient of a lot of those chair shots we had to work with me and Roke worked with Balls and Axel on almost every house show for a year uh, we just take those things every night. So the fact that, um, you know, I have all my marbles is a pretty impressive thing. And, um, but yeah, I mean, if no one we know now and looking back at that, there's another reason why you could never see it now because of what we know now with concussions and blood and everything else. And you just couldn't see it nowadays. That's why it came at a time where, um, you know, we didn't know as much as we did now with social media and, you know, everything else, but those chair shots are big, you know, a lot of them, even the table shots and, barbed wire and fire and Terry and Sabu and born to be wired and all that stuff. That's another reason why you probably never see anything like ECW today. So, you know, ahead of its time, if you will, just because of, just because some of the stuff they did, obviously you mentioned before was copied or, you know, lifted. And a lot of the stuff they did was crazy and different. And you really have to have it on the original tape or you really have to, you know, have the original copies of it to really, really enjoy it. It, it is cool to watch it on the network because there's some great mat work and some great wrestling. But I think if you have the original tapes, that's when you're really, really going to go back and enjoy it. So, what are some of your favorite matches and you know moments and stuff that you had in ECW that really stick out above the others? Well, just like you said, November to remember highlight reels. You'll never see those on the network. You know, you that uh, mm-hmm. November yep. remember music. Which, but for me personally, I mean. Um, obviously massacre on 34th street. Uh, there's a match with roadkill and I and FBI in Mississauga, Canada, which we got lost halfway through and nobody can ever tell because we covered it so well. Um, I always talk about when Taz came to ECW and, um, when he came back, um, when me and roadkill first won the belt and, and he got involved in a match that we had with the Baldies and did a speech afterwards, which, um, roadkill and I didn't know was coming. Um, so it was impromptu. It was pretty personal stuff where he talked about my mother and, uh, an incident Roadkill had where he was injured 
early on in his career. Um, so that was a really special one for me. And obviously the garden, um, dreamer and Raven in the, uh, in the, in the arena was a big one for us. And, and almost every match we've had with, you know, Chetty Nova were big matches and, and I mean, I can go on all day, but we, you know, like I said, the garden was, was, was very special too. So, um, all those matches were, were, were really, really special. And just recently, like I said, I had a match in front of my whole family and my son who never gets to see me live with crowbar for house of hardcore in my hometown, which was, uh, which is a pretty special moment for me. Cause I'm also a head coach in the football organization out there for little, uh, pop Warner. So to have the whole organization there and everything was with, that was a pretty cool moment for me too, just on a smaller scale. But, uh, to, to know I could still go out there and, and do some crazy stuff was, was pretty cool. Definitely very, very cool. And it's great to see you're still wrestling. Do you have some favorite opponents in your career? Not the ones that we mentioned, maybe somebody we wouldn't think of, or maybe somebody that would be like, oh, not, that they were not great, but you had great chemistry with and kind of, um, you know, bucks the trend, if you will. It was somebody, you know, we wouldn't think of it as some of your favorite opponents. Oof. Um, I had a pretty good match with a uh, gentleman from California uh, named Chaos, who from XPW. Um, and despite not knowing each other, we had a really good, really, really good couple of matches out there for uh, for that promotion. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody recently that, that probably not slipped my mind because I haven't really um, got a chance to do much. But um, I would guess over the last 15 years, I would have to be Devin Storm. I've had so many matches with him, Stevie Richards. Another one, me and him had just really good matches together. Um, Bull Dempsey, we had really good matches together. I, I mean, I could literally go all day. So much uh, craziness. And, you know, we were talking about ECW before, the, the buzz, the crowd, the if factors, the arena, you know, all the things that encompasses ECW. Looking back, it's and it's kind of like a weird thing, but did you ever think you know, when you started in ECW, probably around like 96, and you know, you're training and really making a name for yourself in the 90s, did you ever think that it was going to end up finishing in Arkansas of all places? It's like very un-ECW-esque way to end it. No, if I would have had to pick a spot, it definitely would not be, um, I think, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. It would probably be Queens, Philadelphia, um, something like that, even Fort Lauderdale, I don't know. Chicago, uh, any I could think of a million other places, but no, that probably would not be where it ended. Um, that's probably where when it happened, I didn't believe it. So like, it ends here. This, this is how it ends. It wasn't even our ring. It was a rented ring. It was everything about it wasn't was very non ECW. Um, so yeah, if I had to sit there and look back on it, say, there's no way it ends here. But as history has shown, that's that's technically where it, where it ended. And that's where we're going to uh, put the ender on here. But before we wrap it up, before we get to the uh, to the plugs here at the end, we like to ask the final question when you look back at your career. What do you want fans to remember about Danny Doring? Was it all the magical stuff you did back in the ECW days? Is it the fact that you're able to now come back and do things you know, in your own, in your own terms, the way you want to do it? Or you know, is it that you were a fan growing up and you got to live out your dream? What do you want the fans to remember about Danny Doring? Just to know that I'm, I'm okay with whatever their opinion is, whether it be negative or positive. Um, if I could say one thing about my own self was people have said that I've read and I've heard that I'm overrated. I've read that I'm underrated, um, but I'm still rated, and that's all that matters to me. You have to rate me to underrate me. You have to rate me to overrate me. So whatever your opinion of me is, negative or positive, 
I'm all right with it because you have to have an opinion to have one. That's awesome. Now, like I said at the top, you know, long time coming. Very happy to have you on tonight. Before we let you go, please share with the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip where they can find anything and everything going on in the world of Danny Dorian. Just one thing I have. I don't have any Instagram. I just have um, I have Twitter right now, and it's at Sugar Mask, which is my alter ego. <laughs> that means Stevie, Stevie Richards created years ago. But that would be my Twitter, at Sugar Mask, and that's basically all I got. Awesome. Well, we appreciate the time tonight, and uh, it's always fun to go back and live a little bit of those extreme days, and uh, we really appreciate the time. Thank you, guys. It was fun. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.